Good afternoon. Welcome to our September 28th, 2023 Community Policing Podcast. I'm Bloomfield Township Police Chief Jim Gallagher. Uh, and today with me is our co-responder social worker, uh, Hillary Newsbaum. Hillary's been on uh, the program with me in the past. And we have a guest today, Rabbi Yarden Blumstein is with us, from uh, who has a program called You Matter, which is in partnership with the Friendship Circle. So welcome. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate you being here today. Glad to be here. Yeah. Rabbi Yarden, tell us about the Friendship Circle. Love that question. I love talking about the place I get to work. <laughs> um, Friendship Circle was founded locally uh, in 1994, and now it's a national, international organization. And it was founded um, to provide community friendship and support to people in isolation. Primarily, it services people with special needs in a variety of ways, from children's programs, after-school programs, camps, and um, there's adult programs such as an art studio, a cafe, and a bakery, but they also do mental health programming. And one of the programs which I think brings me here today is the You Matter program, something that I launched in 2014, and it's focused about instilling inherent worth and value within our teen population. Okay. Yeah, which is very important, As uh, and this is really when, when our cable studio director, Carrie Lazat, came to me and said, you know, it's obviously Suicide Awareness Month, the month of September, but it's never something that's not on somebody's mind, right? right. Just because we recognize it for the month of, of uh, September doesn't mean we're, it's not affecting somebody today. You know, I don't know what the stats are every minute, every 17 hours or whatever it might right. be um, that someone's committing suicide or, or at least attempting. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it's an extremely important topic to talk about. And so it's amazing you two have never met and crossed paths uh, in, in your line of work, um, but it's really, a match for the for a show like this that that will bring value to our residents and our community to explain why you know obviously hillary you have history and and the schools right we yep. talked about the last time you were on so to have a program for teens focused on autism i think you have a background or yep. people in your life have a background with with uh, dealing with individuals with autism um i think it's a really good uh it's always good to build networks. Yeah, so it's really good I'm connection. To meet you and get to know more about what you do. Yeah. So, Rabbi Yarden, tell us a little bit about your background uh, and how you ended up doing suicide prevention training and talks. It's a great question. Where um, you know, I got involved in Friendship Circle. I got recruited because I like teen engagement and I like getting involved with teens and and helping them out and finding their path in life and doing mentoring. And what I would do is I would recruit teens to volunteer with kids with special needs. And Friendship Circle, over the course of the year, we'll see about 500 teens volunteering. Um, at any given point, it's about 250, but over the course of the year, it's about 500. And what we learned over time was that as you're building relationships with teens and becoming a meaningful part of their life, you start learning about their life. And what started happening is teens are reaching out in a variety of frameworks of what we call crisis. And um, through that framework, I learned what's my role, what's my component, like what role do I play in their life? And using Friendship Circle's mission of community, friendship, and support, we started building out a model for that. So I'm active in suicide prevention, suicide prevention education, but also a lot of teen community. Last night we had our teen uh, informal teen support group. It's called Teen Talks. Um, we're launching a peer-to-peer -peer program. We do community events. And really it's about lessening the stigma surrounding the topic of mental health and suicide and teaching you said educate earlier. Educate's a great word because educate, the difference between teaching is something I'm trying to give you. Educate is showing you that you already have the tools mm -hmm. and educating people about how to ask for help, how to get the things that they need from the community that's all around us. And 
Hillary, with your background in coming to us as a co-responder mm-hmm. um, from a school district, you're mentioning teens, and I would think that that's a primary focus, right? When it, I feel like in our line of work in law enforcement, that's where we really start seeing uh, the beginning stages of maybe some crisis yeah. in somebody, right? And, yep. it, and whether it's whether it's a feeling of crisis or somebody who's actually in crisis, right? It, it, to, to the social media aspect, which I'm sure we could spend four days <laughs> in this room talking about um, social media and, and the effects it has on somebody's mental health, especially teens. mental teens. Yeah. But is there an age where crisis starts? I mean, you were came from an elementary school. Yeah. It, it, we, we talk teens, but is there an age where? Well, uh, I mean. What I would say is, if we're, if we're, I think what you're asking is about trauma, right? right. And okay. trauma can happen at any age, at any time. You know, you can be born um, into trauma, you know, into a traumatic situation. You can, you know, start enduring trauma from day one. So really, you're dealing with individuals who emotionally could be in crisis at any time, you know, based on whatever trauma could be in their life. So even like as early on as, you know, a couple months or a month, you know, like kids can be in crisis, but it looks different for everybody. And that's what's sometimes really hard to nail down is if I'm an emotional trauma and I'm, you know, a third grader, it might come out as anger or frustration or irritability. I might be throwing a chair, those kinds of things. Um, But really ultimately what's going on is I have a sadness that I don't know how to discuss or talk about and I'm in crisis. Yeah. Um, I love that example. mm -hmm. It makes me think is especially in the autism world, um, we are always taught and told that all behaviors are communication. Yep. And some reason when we go to mental health, we forget that all this is like, someone's trying to tell us about what's going on inside their life and they might not have the words and maybe we call that crisis or acting out or mm-hmm. it happens. It's, when does crisis start? I love that question too, because it's continuously expressing in different ways. The question to me is always, when is someone going to hear what's not being said? Mm-hmm. Makes me think of the book by um, Oprah and Bruce Perry, um, What Happened to You? Oh, yeah. Because we're so quick to 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 jump in and say, how do we make that stop versus or how do we... what's wrong with you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, how do, we listen, how do we listen to what you're not saying or what yeah. you don't know yeah. how to say? And I, I, we, I jumped ahead a little bit there, and, and I want to get to real quick what your yeah. effect is on our community as well. But when Rabbi Yarden said... That and brought up that teen aspect. I think it's important to recognize that, like you said, trauma or crisis can really start at any time. So, yep. Hillary, just taking a step a little bit back, let's talk about what I know you've been on a podcast before, but not everybody probably saw that. Let's talk about your a uh, little bit of your history. Sure. I just mentioned you came from from a school district uh, yep. dealing with um, as a social worker in a school district, mm-hmm. uh, elementary, if the correct. Yeah, elementary for a little while, but I've kind of worked K through you know, K through 12. Yeah. So. And obviously you have your own practice and yep. do, do treatment on the side as well. I do. Yeah. Um, September of last year, right? Yeah. September of last year, you started with, as us with a co-responder. Let's talk a little bit about. Two years how, ago. It's it, been two years already. Okay. Yeah. Hard wow. to believe. It, it's been a, <laughs> I think it's because so much has happened in two yes. years that uh, the time has flown by. Yeah. Um, talk about corresponding. What's what's it about? Why do we do it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Co-response, it seems like, has many faces now. Um, You know, really the ultimate goal is getting people who have mental health needs um, and who are in mental health crises, making sure they have the right resources and the right tools moving forward. But what that means is, you know, when police gets when police get called out to scenes um, where there's mental health related issues going on, um, police aren't always 100% certain of, ex- of exactly what kind of services and resources are out there. So the goal is trying to come with like 
a toolbox full of resources which I can help bring to a situation and say, hey, let's make sure we get you connected to the right resources. And in the meantime, if we can kind of work in some jail diversion, um, you know, if a person really just needs mental health resources rather than getting charged and we're able to do that, great. You know, then we're getting people the right help. And one of the things that stands out to me is that we, I think that if you talk to any police chief, and we've seen it across the nation, not just here, but we'll use here because it's so close, but, you know, uh, Detroit's police chief, Sheriff Bouchard here in Oakland County, have mentioned many times we're in a mental health crisis, mm -hmm. and we don't seem to fund the crisis that we're in. Mm -hmm. So we're almost forced as police agencies, as private agencies, to bring the response to the people, yeah, and to, to the to the people who need it, because we have no. Where, where else do we turn? Right. Um, so let's talk talk about Safe Talk. Um, what is Safe Talk training, and what can people expect to learn when, when, if they they hear this message? I love that question. Back up to the last thing you said. It's interesting because, like, we're calling it like this crisis, which. I saw at one point CDC were saying this is like a pandemic, a mental health pandemic. Mm -hmm. And something that I'm starting to see more of, and I'm sure you're starting to see more of across the board, is that our systems are so drained, they're cracking. Yes. First of all, they have their own mental health challenges, their own mental health issues, but then they're also expected to conform in so many ways that, that the system wasn't designed to be. Um, we're active in some of the threat assessment in some schools and looking at like how schools are so maxed out by that process that wasn't designed into a school model. Um, I actually just did a summit for first responders talking about the mental health tax of today's challenge for first responders. And a lot of law enforcement were there and they said like there's no space for that right now. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much as and it's scary because we're only as good as what we can offer and right. we're only as deep as what we got. So it's. It's it's scary how worn down we're getting everywhere. Yeah, we're going to come back to oh. that. No, 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 because I think you touched on a very important topic, but I don't want to focus on law enforcement or first responders. But there is an aspect to there that that we need to address. Right. Um, but so safe talk, safe talk. But but I, but I, that's a, a, a very important point. So I want to get back to that here in a few a minutes, though, yeah. and a good message. Yeah. So because um, there's a culture that we got to talk about. Um, but let's go to Safe Talk. I don't want to get past your talk. message. Yeah, We're sitting here in Bluefield Hills District, first of all, and they ran a, a teen mental health study. They run it every couple of years, but the last one I saw was probably two years ago. And they asked, I think, 3,500 students um, from 6th through 12th grade about their um, a variety of mental health questions. Mm -hmm. And one of them was how many people thought about suicide in the past year and how many people tried suicide in the past year. And there were... Um, quantity numbers in each category. I think it was over 100 kids had tried and over 400 plus had said that they've thought about it. But over, I think, 1,000 kids said that they have absolutely nobody they would turn to if it was them. Yeah. And you have to assume those numbers are lower, not higher. Right. In other words, they're probably not all being honest on a random form. And what is Safe Talk? Why, why does that segue into Safe Talk? First of all, I am so passionate about where are we building out trusted adults? Mm -hmm. Where are we building out, like, who do you trust to go do with that? And to me, Safe Talk is the CPR of mental health. It's saying, how do we, you know, there's so many people across America who say you can't be a lifeguard without learning CPR, and then you can't be in this job without learning CPR, and yet how many people use CPR? I mean, obviously, if you're on an ambulance, if you're in settings where you come across it all the time, the average person, doesn't even know if they'd ever get it right. Yeah. 
Right. And the CPR and mental health safe talks data point is that every five people trained is two successful interventions in the first 90 days. Mm. So you're going to learn it, you're going to use it. And it's, it's amazing how simple it is. It's three hours. And in three hours, you can learn how to be a part of the solution rather than a part of the problem. And I'm sure we all see this. What are you going to learn? First of all, let's get simplistic here. Um, SAFE is suicide alertness for everyone. That's what it stands for. And ultimately, it's something we have to be aware of, alert of. And if we can't scan for it, if we can't think about it, then we can't address it and we can't identify it. Um, one in four high school teens will contemplate suicide to the point they know how they would end their life during their high school career. Mm. And not only that, eventually those become young adults and become adults. And some people would argue those numbers increase. They don't decrease. So... Those are good tools for life. Yeah. Um, then the talk is the model. And the simplicity of the model is how do I listen to what's not being said? And if a person needs help, how do I connect them to someone who can help them? And it's three hours and it works. What I like to say is it's interesting to me that if you're walking down the street with your friend and your friend starts grabbing their heart and they say, I'm not sure if I'm having a heart attack or not, but don't tell anybody you would sit there and be like, you're crazy. Like, I already got 911 on the way, and, and I actually have a friend who's a doctor, and I'm going to—and if they said, but, you know, if you do that, then I'm for sure going to have a heart attack, you wouldn't—you'd just be shocked. And yet, in mental health, we do that. Like, oh, they could probably tough through this, or they could probably—they should figure it out, or I won't tell anyone today, I'll tell someone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And we have professionals. We have community professionals all over. And I think we spend a lot of time trying to figure out where the crisis is rather than dealing with a crisis brought to us. And when they're brought in an organized way, when they're addressed, identified, connected quickly, a lot of times it's easy to create safety. So that's, to me, what Safe Talk is. Well, yeah. I, mean, I, don't, know how you go, I don't know how you go past that yeah. when you hear those numbers, right? And so when we talk about bringing a core responder into our agency, um, you know, a lot of that came after some national incidents where wh why it took those. I, I was always under the belief that hurt people can hurt people. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was always this fear when we bring co-responders and social workers into the law enforcement field. We had this belief that I think we were going to have conflicting interest. Right. And so we were, as law enforcement, dealing with crises because we were brought to the crisis. Right. Or we tried solving somebody's lifelong trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. In a, in, a, in a trying to do it in a 10 or 15 minute period without being trained or without adequate training. The majority of the training we had for mental health was based on what we saw on the road and what we learned on the road. Um, so it's, it, it kind of comes full circle with what you're trying to do and what, what we're trying to do as police agencies um, all across the board, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty, we know it's working. Yeah. You know, we is. know, we know yeah. it's working. Um, where can people learn about the local trainings or schedule one with you? It's a great question. There are actually trainings all over. There's several organizations that offer it. Um, but if someone were to reach out to Friendship Circle or TU Matter, which I believe the link will be included with this um, podcast, we'd be happy to set one up. And if they have a group, all the better. We're happy to do one. We actually facilitated one last night. And um, it's the greatest privilege and honor. Um, I'm at 98 trainings right now, and I've never done a training without getting feedback afterwards. Direct feedback, usually within 24 hours, of how it made a difference in someone's life. And there's nothing more rewarding than that. Going into a room and having, I did one here at Bloomville Hills for parent, the parent committee, the PTO, and it's just so rewarding to know that people have tools that can make a difference and can help bring in, you know, the right people, and not just sit there and try to figure out if they can get through another day. 
Additionally, too, I have to add this plug, Oakland Community Health Network also does Safe Talk trainings. Oh. So that's also another um, And we're know, part of that place. network. We're yep. excited to be a part of that network. And, it, yeah, I am not the solution, and you matter is not the solution. Mm-hmm. We're a part of a solution. And mm-hmm. like you said, it's when people realize that we all have the same goal. Mm-hmm. Wherever they get trained, get trained. Absolutely. It's three yep. hours. It's an easy training. Yeah. And is there, because I have not been through it, um, is there one that's geared towards law enforcement? Is there overall, or first responders, I should say, I don't want to exclude our EMS personnel who are providing just like we are. Um, is there something that's geared towards law enforcement on that if, if we wanted to do a training? Or is, is the overall training geared for all audiences? It's geared for all audiences. That's what I would say. It's actually one of my favorite trainings in the idea that it works so simplistically. Mm-hmm. Um, people said, do you mix professionals, parents, and teens? And yes because it's so simplistic and almost like CPR, like how much is that really gonna change? And it's not there to say we're gonna diagnose the person and start treating the person. It's literally, we're gonna identify that there's, so to speak, emotional fire, and we're gonna bring in the right fire department, so to speak, to bring it, and yes, Mm -hmm. it works in all. Not only that, sometimes a diverse group is cool because you see the universality of the issue. Yeah. Um, You guys use some words throughout this that if I was somebody that was in crisis, I'm going to automatically, and I sat last week, we hosted, or two weeks ago, we hosted the CIT training here, and I sat through Hillary's um, brief opening and stuff on, on the talk of anxiety and the different levels of anxiety. And I would argue after listening to her that I think every human being probably has a form of it, whether it's very, very minor, you don't even know, um, up, to, uh, up to the symptoms and signs that causes severe medicated, you know, um, where, where you may need to seek treatment. But there's negative implications if I say I'm in crisis, right? You use the word crisis or trauma, there automatically seems to be, oh, you know, this person's crazy. Well, what's their life story? Mm-hmm. What, what chapter of the book in life are they in, right? right. So how do we get past that, um, that portion, right? Because that, that, that's where people, when you say you're walking down the street and my friend says I'm in crisis, what do I do now? Heart attacks, we know what to do. Yeah. Right? One of the things, you know, that comes to mind too when you're talking about that is the universal assumption of trauma um, is that every single person you talk to, it's really important to assume that they've had at least one trauma in their lives because it impacts how you speak to someone. It drives the compassion, the empathy you use when you talk to somebody. Um, it helps you be a more active listener when you just assume, like, I'm going to assume that this person has gone through something, is going through something, could potentially be in crisis, and then it just changes how you look at that person and how you listen to them. That's an important aspect, I think. I want to add on to that, too. Um, I've seen the word stigma transition. I think the stigma of maybe five or ten years ago was that doesn't exist anywhere. Mm -hmm. The stigma of today is it's okay if anyone else has it, it just can't be me or it can't be my family. And I think part of that, going obviously exactly what you said I agree with, The second thing is that we have to bury expectations and start living with who we are. And there's self-acceptance and there's stop trying to live up to the neighbor and start embracing who you are and what your life journey is. Mm -hmm. And as a teen, we go back to that social media, instant gratification or instant dissatisfaction, right? And constant comparisons. Correct. And and that's just so dangerous. Mm -hmm. It's so dangerous. we talked about the stigma. We talked about a little bit of police culture stuff. And I, I go back, even when we talk about law enforcement, as you, you talked about the breaking. Like every, I think of the nursing field. 
the medical field. What have we done for those nurses and doctors during the pandemic of, of the beginning of COVID when, when before we knew much about it and we had people dying in the hospitals and doctors are pronouncing multiple patients and nurses can't, can't save somebody because we don't know about it. What have we done for those people? And so, um, or that, that, that profession, mm -hmm. um, you look at the teaching profession, right? I mean, the average life, you know, the nurses are saying about two years, they're trying to get out of the business. Um, I, I, I heard recently, I don't know if the stat is correct, but teachers are close to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I want to say some of it's because we aren't, there is a breaking point for everybody. And we are seeing students and, and teens who are also experiencing the same thing. And we just don't, have the resources or don't feel we have the resources rather we, we we don't recognize listening sometimes is the only resource that we need to need to have right so i think it's, it's just as you speak mm -hmm. it just brings up so much more thought process and deeper into that that field right we see it every day we, we respond every day to somebody in crisis whether it's you know yep. a family crisis or an actual mental health crisis yep. so hillary let's talk about um for a minute i, I guess i want to compare from what you've seen um and when we talk about the law enforcement side of it, what's a typical shift look like for you? Um, there isn't really a typical shift for me. Um, every day is a little bit different. I work for 10-hour shifts. So um, I take referrals from officers when I'm not on um, like on a scene, and they'll um, refer families, they'll refer individuals, and I try and follow up. So usually the first part of my shift is trying to follow up with individuals, um, make sure they get connected to resources. That could be via phone call, email. Um, I might show up in person with an officer um, just to make sure we stay safe. Um, the other piece is I literally carry police preps, and I um, will go to scenes with police. Um, that's sort of the second piece of it. Um, and arguably the most important piece is making sure like we're getting to those crises when it's happening. Um, so that's kind of what my day looks like. And in between there's some meetings. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about that just for a minute because we talked about the, the change a little bit and then, and changing that stigma or changing that culture, yeah. I guess in the short two years, right? I'm already thinking it's only one, but in the short <laughs> two years, have you seen an evolution? In what in the four agencies that you serve, mm -hmm. and the officers, and how we handle things, and the the beliefs, and the patients. Number one, have you seen a difference? A hundred percent, yes. Um, I would say, well, when I even started my position, I was surprised already at the openness and willingness to learn the tools and the resources. And um, law enforcement are really, at least with my four agencies. Um, wanting like give me those tools give me those resources so there was definitely an openness to learn those and now on scene um, especially if if i'm there or an officer who's trained in crisis intervention team shows up they want us to be a part of that scene they want help especially when it comes to mental health you know crises um, because they may not have that training um, so there has been quite a big shift in, um, and from what I've seen, you know, in willingness to have us on scene and to, you know, learn some of those resources and tools. Yeah. As an administrator for an agency, I see, and I actually get emails from people who are crediting the officers for understanding mm -hmm. the situation. You know, they can't solve it. They can't necessarily always fix it. Um, but, but I get the emails and we, you know, we've since hired Courtney, a second co-responder for our four agencies. Right. Um, 
and then the city of Troy has hired one. Mm-hmm. Oakland County has one in, the, in, in, I believe, the city of Pontiac. Yep. Does she do Rochester Hills, too, or is she strictly? She's strictly Pontiac, sometimes Rochester Hills, but mostly just Pontiac. Yeah. And so the idea is, is spreading. Our mm-hmm. format is spreading. We've done a lot of um, talks or presentations uh, at conferences about how, how our program operates. And there's several different models across the country. No one's better than the other. We found really good success with ours. But to be able to provide those resources on scene, to somebody in crisis is is mm-hmm. it's priceless. I yeah. mean, it, it's the difference for some from trying, succeeding. Um, again, we get back to that suicidal ideation and things. And um, one of the things before we transition a little bit to the to law enforcement side of it is in June um, we had here in Bluefield Township three successful suicides in a two week period of time. Well, that's a lot for us. I mean, we, we do unfortunately get a handful or so per year that are successful with several attempts. Um, but that can take, I mean, that's a true sign for a, a, you know, a community our size that there's a problem. Three, yeah. three and three in, in less than two weeks mm-hmm. um, is, a, is a problem. So let's talk about um, what's the one thing that people need to do if they think themselves or someone they know is having some type of suicidal ideation. It's, it's sad. It always is sad. I've always said that I would um, hopefully stop doing what I'm doing the second I don't find it sad. Mm-hmm. Um, to the person going through it, I would really, really hope that they can have the courage to reach out and ask for help and be open and honest. Um, you know, it's interesting because the Safe Talk training is from Living Works, which obviously Living Works, um, and their model is no one's saying you can't do that, just not right now. Like, ask for help first, have that meeting, have that exploration reach out and see what's out there. And the idea that using a permanent solution for a temporary problem is very real. Mm-hmm. And um, I think recently there's a couple of people that I've been involved in where there was no signs beforehand or there's no obvious signs. I know every time we're shocked and surprised, but they never reached out to anyone for help. They never checked out a therapist. They never allowed, re- and in the cases where someone is struggling, if you're not getting help you need, I hope you ask for it. Like I hope your courage Brene Brown says, courage comes comes from the idea of being vulnerable. The root word of courage is core, which is being open and vulnerable. Because it takes courage to ask for help. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. We all want to look social media appropriate. We all want to look strong. We all want to look great. And I guess to those around, to the, to the person, I hope you have the courage to ask. There's nothing that makes all of us happier than being able to help. Um, I It's funny because in my team, we talk about the fact that crisis is already too late. Crisis is already post-crisis. How do we get in? You know, when we say there's red flags, usually that means we already know about a situation for too long. How do we bring in someone? How do you ask for help? To people around, there's two things I want to say. One is if you're not sure, ask. Mm-hmm. Like, ask and ask until you get the answers you need. Um, there's lots of people you can ask, right? We, we, there's so many resources in our community now. Um, just ask. And just like if you weren't sure if your kid... I mean, if you're not sure if you have COVID, you go get COVID tested. If you're not sure if you have a flu, you go to the doctor. If you're not sure if your arm is broken, you don't sit there and say, well, let me wait three weeks and figure it out. Ask. And there doesn't have to be any judgment there. And the second thing that I think as a community we can do is we can role model posit- what that we're human. We can role mo- model our imperfections, our humanity, the fact that a lot of us are have asked for help, that we have failed, that we do struggle, and that's a part of being human. And hopefully that will lessen stigma. Yeah, one of the one other thing I wanted to add to along with what you're saying is people don't just snap 
you know, there's a buildup, you know, of, of different events that happen. It might be one event, it might be several events, but, you know, there, there's something going on that leads them to that crisis point, you know, where, you know, they make a decision to end their life or they make a decision to, you know, end someone else's life or whatever it might be, but there's something that builds up to that. And there's a lot of time along that continuum, you know, to get help and for someone who might be seeing some signs to, to also offer help. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, we'll get to the law enforcement side of it because that's obviously the field I'm yeah. most familiar with. And and Hillary came on at the right time for us. Um, we had some members of our agency go through the, go through some some things. We had some events, um, you know, that our officers saw on the road that really built the trust um, with Hillary, which I don't know if they really thought would be there at the beginning, but it didn't take but a couple weeks uh, until we really needed her services internally. Um, and, and then not only a few months later did we need him even greater. And so we did have a tragedy, and, and a suicide did affect our agency. Um, and I say our agency, I want to say, you know, yeah, both agencies, our police and fire yeah. service. And and there was a lot of what ifs. There's a lot of what did we miss. Um, not, somebody, not somebody you would ever suspect. And, and we went through it. Um, and we still live through it every single day. So from, from the first responder, the law enforcement side of it, I, I, I don't remember what the stat was, but we just talked about it. Mm-hmm. How much greater are, as in law enforcement, or I'll even say first responder, but really yeah. law enforcement, what's the, we're, we're at greater risk. Yeah, law enforcement is a greater risk. I, can, I can't speak necessarily for fire, but I'm sure it's up there uh, as well. But if you are in law enforcement, you have a 54% greater likelihood of dying by suicide than, you know, the average, you know, human being, which is a massive, uh, you know, increase. It's huge. And you and I have spent many a times, not necessarily on the topic of suicide, but the topic of officer wellness. Yes. Um, and you have a subtle way of even checking on me. Um, <laughs> I think I figured it out. But in those ways of checking on or hearing about things that our officers see, and we, we hear about it all the time now. For 30 years, a lot of times, it's, you know, 25 to 30 years, that's what an officer does in a patrol car, responding to calls. Many times, call after call after call is either one dealing with somebody else's conflict or crisis, or seeing extreme trauma, yeah. including up to death. Yeah. And sometimes they're repetitive in a short period of time. And I don't think people realize our brains aren't supposed to function that way. No, you know. And so it, it is a concern, and it is a culture and a stigma mm-hmm. within that that we all know. I'm trying to change in our agency, but it's a constant conversation amongst all of our agencies. Um, and I think you can probably attest to the difference from when you started mm-hmm. to where we are two years later on how serious we're taking it. Yeah, I mean, Bloomfield Township, you know, began a peer support program for officers um, who are experiencing crisis, which is, you know, a, a huge step up for us and our agency. You know, the other piece, too, and I don't think people really understand this, we have a lot of um, empathy for people who have, like, physical disabilities and physical, um, you know, things that happen to them. When trauma occurs and occurs time after time after time, it can literally change um, the brain structures, you know, or the structures in your brain rather. Um, and you don't necessarily have control over what that means and how then, you know, you're going to respond to call after call after call after call, especially for law enforcement. So it is, um, it's a staggering statistic, and it's also something that really needs to be um, taken care of. We need to. I think jumping in on that too, I can't even imagine. To me, in the line of work I do, and I don't do the same crisis-style work, it's the idea of trying to walk into home and turn it off. 
It's like, oh, I'm just supposed to file that away. And then compartmentalization is if that's healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, this is your life. And you said 30 years of where do I put all that stuff? And then I think it's, it's I mean, when we say the word hero, right, when we say someone's a hero, that's what we're talking about. The idea that someone would subject themselves to that and and their family are heroes, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that their family takes that experience and hopefully in a positive way because it's it's one thing one time you're like oh you're late for dinner oh you're stressed out every single day yeah and and hillary and no it's always joke i'm not much of an emotional person and it never felt but over <laughs> as, as you progress in an agency and you really do see the work that the people are doing that the, the men and women are doing every single day um and what they experience and we're lucky we work in a very a, a great community. Um, and there's obviously other areas that see a lot more trauma than we do. Um, but when you do talk about families, it's it's unacceptable to me that if one of our officers were to go home every night and be distant from their family, distant from their kids, distant from their wife, their spouse, whatever it is, um, that's not okay. Um, and so we need to really focus on that as an agency. We're trying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, what advice can we give our community members for, for people in crisis? What resources? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, kind of echoing what you said, pay attention. Um, reach out to your loved ones. Reach out to your neighbors. Reach out to maybe people you haven't heard from in a while. Um, you know. If you suspect that someone's having a hard time, um, it's not anything to, to just say, hey, how's it going? How's your day going? You know, what's going on? Um, and just lend an ear. Um, I also know that um, you can go to our, our website, right? I think you're going to talk about that um, yep. for certain resources. Um, Oakland Community Health Network is always a it's, a, it's a great resource for the community, for people who don't have insurance, for people who do have insurance. Um, and that's oaklandchn.org. So that's a great resource pool as well. Rabbi, if somebody saw our podcast today, hears about our podcast today, and they say, I need to reach out to somebody that he knows, um, that they, he, he can understand me. He's talked to, you know, he's probably talked to teens with the same thing I'm going through. How do they reach out to you? It's very humbling to think that someone would think that, and I would appreciate that. Um, they can reach out to Friendship Circle. They, they can go through the website. They can call the main line. They can get whatever gets a hold of me works. They can probably reach out to right here and say, I heard you had that guy on the podcast. How do you get him on the phone? And it would be an honor to be involved. And I hope they would do it. I hope they would reach out to anybody, including me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts? I'm glad we're talking about this. This is yeah. an honor to be here. Yeah. I think this is the start of a good conversation. Obviously, we could talk about it for a lot longer. And I hope other people have this conversation, too. Yeah. I think it's that stigma and that culture starting to change. I think I think society as a whole is recognizing that mental health is a priority, that it is a pandemic, um, and we're seeing it every single day, whether it's in our own backyard or whether it's across the country on, on, on what's going on across this world. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's sad to think, and all we can do is hope that there is hope right. <laughs> somewhere out there, and we can give someone hope that their life does matter. Um, Suicide's finale. Most people don't think about how final that is, right. how final that is for everybody involved, from parents to, you know, friends to everybody. And it affects everybody in, in its own way. Um, but I don't think probably there's anybody around that hasn't done it. So mm-hmm. um, I want to thank both of you for being on the show today. Um, I think it's an important topic and it's one that we have to discuss. Um, 
and I'm hoping that if, that this podcast is heard by many. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks thank for having you. us. Yeah. Yep. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back to our podcast. Many of our residents have heard or have seen the media coverage on some recent home invasions throughout Oakland County. Uh, Sheriff Bouchard put out a uh, media message the other day. Uh, I wanted to reiterate to our residents that we are aware of the home invasions. Uh, Bloomfield Township has seen a few of those uh, targeted home invasions. Uh, there's not much at this time we can share as this is these are open investigations. Uh, one thing I do want to remind our residents, though, is that Bloomfield Township partners with all of our local communities that have been affected by these home invasions. Uh, we're working diligently to try to identify the suspects and the groups involved, uh, and we are providing as many resources as we can to deter and to find those responsible. Uh, we also got a stat the other day from, from the state police, and I've talked about in our prior shows, but to date, we're up about 238% uh, in our auto thefts this year. Uh, we're a little over 50 auto thefts in Bloomfield Townships this, this year, which in a normal year, we uh, only probably have about usually less than 10. Uh, I would say that about 90 to 95% of those have been vehicles that have had the keys or fobs left in them. Uh, we've recovered the, the majority of them, uh, but I want to remind our residents it's crucial that to do that nine o'clock routine we talked about, make it a habit to ensure that your keys are in your home, that the cars, if they're in the driveway, are locked, uh, and that your garage doors are secure as well. And that includes the vehicles that are in the garage. Uh, we have seen plenty of cases where a, a vehicle is left open outside in the driveway, uh, and the, the suspects then use the garage door openers to open the garage and steal the keys or the uh, cars with the keys um, in them in the garage. So I just wanted to give that reminder and provide an update on the home invasions. We are working diligently to uh, prevent them, and, and to arrest the individuals involved. Thank you for tuning in today on such an important topic, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Thank you.